Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. Father, we just want to thank you for your word. Sweet Holy Spirit, please breathe upon it. Uh, let it come straight from the heart of God and let it challenge us, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. We are continuing our series about uh, entering the promises of God. We arrived at the point where the children of Israel received the Ten Commandments from God uh, in Exodus, the 20th chapter. Um, last week, we spoke about the first of those Ten command Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. This week, we're going on to the second of those Ten Commandments. Yeah? We encouraged ourselves, and I want to do that again, that the Ten Commandments are not some archaic note in history. Uh, the Ten Commandments are God's principles for living life. They are as relevant today as they were then. Um, and it will serve us in good stead to make sure we imbibe these commandments as part of our lives. They are God's moral code. Our lives find fulfillment, rich. Our lives are rich. We are we find real wealth when we live by these principles, this moral code that God has given us. So the second commandment, Exodus, the 20th chapter, verses 4 to 6. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. The second commandment reinforces how much God abhors idolatry. It is a clear prohibition of the worship of images. Don't make a physical image of God to worship or aid your worship is the message uh, from the second commandment. Literally what it is saying is God cannot be reduced to an image. There are three things that I wanted to point out very quickly just before we launch into the heart of the message. Um, I, I sort of undergird the message. Um, number one, why, and these are all questions as to why. As to why. Uh, number one, because God is a spirit. Um, in uh, his encounter with the woman at the well, uh, as uh, Jesus talks to her about worship, he says this in John, the fourth chapter, verses 23 and 24. He says, the eyes coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is, uh, is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is spirit. He desires worship in spirit and in truth. So, so we worship God as a spirit. Uh, he does not need to become an image in a physical form for us to worship him. The second thing, very quickly, is that God wants the worship of him to be by the word. 
You know, when he appeared to the children of Israel, uh, Moses uh, in Deuteronomy uh, gives this account. Deuter Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter and the twelfth verse. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the war words, but saw no form. You only heard a voice. It was God could have appeared in a form. He could have given them some sort of image. But no, he spoke to them. They heard the sound of the words. They only heard a voice. Moses says, you saw no form. Now, that principle is fulfilled in his son, Jesus. That's why his son, Jesus, is called the word of God. Colossians 1 verse 15. The only image we're allowed to worship. Colossians 1 verse 15 is the word of God. Colossians 1 verse 15, he is the image referring to Jesus Christ of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. When God doesn't countenance, doesn't, doesn't, he, 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 he finds it totally distasteful when images are worshipped. The only image that we, are, we can worship is the express image of God himself. And that comes for you and I in the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Number three Worshipping an image desecrates God's glory. Uh, the Bible puts it like this in Romans, the first chapter, verses 22 to 23. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. The Passion Translation puts it a bit more passionately where it says, Although claiming to be wise, they were in fact shallow fools, for only a fool would trade the unfading splendor of the immortal God to worship the fading image of other humans, idols made to look like people, animals, birds, and even creeping reptiles. What does God say? He says it is futility, it is the, it is the preserve of, it is foolishness to leave the glory of God and worship what man has made with his hands. These images that man has made with his hands. I want to tell you a story about someone um, that I feel will drive home this point. It's also a story to warn us. We must be very careful. What am I saying? I'm saying beware of the subtlety of Satan. Because, you know, we can think quite, quite quickly that well, we're not creating images. We're not creating images of four-footed animals, images of humans, and images of reptiles to worship. Well, I would say to you that Satan has also got advanced. You know, technology is getting advanced. Satan is also getting advanced. He's getting subtle, more and more subtle and scheming in how he, he gets people to worship images. So let's look at Solomon's story. I would love to tell a lot more of Solomon's story, but let's paraphrase it because we don't have as much time as we would like. Uh, Solomon was one of the greatest kings of Israel. Uh, he had an encounter with God where he asked God, where God gave him a blank check to ask for anything. And he asked God for wisdom, wisdom to fulfill God's purpose on his life, to govern the people, lead the people. And God was so touched by his request because it wasn't selfish that God gave him that wisdom, but also gave him honor and riches and wealth. And, and God just gave him, literally just laid it out. The, the blank check was signed with as many zeros as you can imagine. 
And Solomon's reign was an amazing reign for Israel. Solomon was so wealthy that even people like the Queen of Sheba left Africa and, and went all the way to, 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 West, to, to Jerusalem to look for Solomon just to encounter his wealth. And the Bible, no time to go there, but the Bible says when she saw the spread of his wealth, her heart almost failed her. That's a, a way of saying she gasped at how much God had blessed Solomon with. He was blessed with so much wisdom. He wrote Proverbs. You know, he, he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, full of wisdom by which we live today. Literally, Solomon had everything that he wanted. He was also a great statesman. You know, he managed to unite the nations, imposed complex tax systems, a great economist. I mean, Solomon really had it all. But then, as the Bible tells us in, 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 in 1 Kings, the 11th chapter from verse 1, things started to go wrong. Of course, the enemy was dogging his footsteps. The Bible says, verses 1 and 2, but King Solomon married many, many foreign, loved many foreign women, as well as the daughters of Pharaoh, women of Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. From the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. And you know, this kind of already starts to tell us how the enemy works. You know, the enemy makes us think, why does God put those boundaries? God is some sort of killjoy. He doesn't want you to enjoy life. And he must have been whispering that to Solomon you know, why can't you marry these women? Why did God say you shouldn't marry them? Why does God not want you to have this beautiful Am Ammonite princess? This, 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 this stunning Sidonian princess. I mean, look at her. Look at the grace, the dignity. Look at her figure of this Moabite princess. Why don't you marry her? And the Bible says Solomon started to lust after them and started to love them and married them. The Bible goes on in verses 3 and 4 to tell us that he married actually 700 of them and then had another 300 as concubines. And it, what God warned him about happened. God had said, if you do, the reason I say don't cross, cross this boundary is for your own good. The reason God sets boundaries for us is not because he's some kill joy in heaven, not because he's there wishing that we don't enjoy anything, we, 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 we just live this dreary, boring, mundane, routine life, just barely just surviving and trudging towards destiny, towards heaven, towards the, the cross. No, 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 no. God sets those boundaries, my brother and sister, because God knows that to cross those boundaries it will work against us. And so God says, go this far, but not across. So Solomon does exactly what God says he shouldn't. And what does the Bible say in verses 3 and 4? It says that he's, they start to turn his heart, as God said, away from God to the other gods, and his heart is no longer lo loyal to God. Verses 5 to 8 tells us some of them. He, uh, Solomon goes after Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, because the, the princess of Sidonia turned his heart. Then he started to worship Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites, all gods that, that God couldn't stand. 
and his actions became evil to God and he no longer followed God with the passion that he did. Idolatry will stop us from worshiping God with the passion that we should worship God with. There's no way that, that two gods can share the throne in our hearts. If we turn aside to embrace an image or God, then we are saying in, this, in, this, in, this, in essence that there is no space in our hearts for Jehovah. And then Solomon went on to now start to spend some of the wealth that God had given him in worshipping these gods. The Bible says he built a place for Chemosh, the, the abomination of Moab. And then he went on to do things for Molech. Molech is one of the detestable gods that his worship involved the sacrifice of, of your sons in fire to him. Uh, can you believe that the person who wrote Proverbs for us and gave us all that wise counsel that we live by was now worshipping Molech? And then he did the same for all his foreign wives, using the money that God had blessed him with, building temples to these gods, burning incense and sacrificing to the gods. Of course, God got angry with him, verses 9 to 11. The Bible says, so God became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. God had literally had a, such a dramatic encounter with, with Solomon in much the same way that God has had that kind of encounter with us through our salvation and I'm, I'm certain many times after that. And yet Solomon turned away from God and gave himself to worshipping the, the, the God, God, gods and goddesses of this princess. I'm sure you can imagine how it happened. You know, he's, he's sleeping with the princess at night. She's whispering things into his ear. She's, he's drawn in by her loss. She's alluring. She takes over literally. And it becomes a competition, I am sure, amongst the princess, princesses. Who can get more from Solomon? And Solomon's wealth was endless. He could build as many temples as they wanted. But it was given to him by God to worship him, Jehovah. Now he was using it to worship other gods. And the Bible goes on in verses, from verses 9 to 11. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servants. There are consequences for worshipping other gods and other images. We must not think that we can do those things and get away indefinitely with it. There are consequences. Because don't forget in the second commandment, God says, I am a jealous God. But I don't want you to see God, when you say jealous, people see God as you know, jealous in the way we know it, or a woman who is fighting for um, some space uh, with a husband who is totally unregenerated and has girlfriend, or a girl, or, or a boyfriend who is jealous because his girlfriend is paying attention to something. No, 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 no. That would be jealous of. But I want us to understand that when God says I'm jealous, God is saying I'm jealous for. And I'm jealous for is God saying I'm jealous for you because I know what I have planned for you. I know if you stay within these boundaries, obeying my commands, you can have an amazing life. So I am jealous for you 
that the enemy has managed to get you to step outside the boundaries and end up worshipping other gods or other images. There are consequences. And if you look at Solomon's life, you see the consequences. Verse 14, the Lord himself raises an adversary against Solomon. Now, the, the, the God who should be on his side is now against him because he has entered into idolatry. He's worshipping these images and these gods. Verse, verse 23, God raises up another adversary against him, reason the son of Eliada. Verse 26, then Solomon's servant, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephraimite from Zerida, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow, also rebelled against the king. Now, all these things were happening simply because he had entered into idolatry. There are consequences for idolatry, consequences for the worshipping of this, these images. Now, of course, I expect that as we're thinking about this, where, where a lot of us are saying to ourselves, well, I'm not, this doesn't apply to me because I don't really worship images. I don't have an image in my house that I worship. I don't call my family to worship an image. Maybe our ancestors did that. But certainly a lot of us are saying, I'm Christian and I don't worship any images. I want to tell you eight common images that even Christians can worship if we're not careful. And the consequences are the same as what Solomon went through. God is a jealous God and there are consequences when his jealousy is stirred or roused and it's not a jealous of other gods how can god be jealous of something that is made with the hands of a man that looks like a reptile no it's a jealous for his loved ones for his children jealous that we are throwing away what has been presented to us by him so that we can enjoy the fullness of life and crossing crossing these boundaries so and allowing the enemy to make mincemeat of us exactly what happened to Solomon. So let me quickly go through these eight common images that we can worship. Number one is nature. You know, the, and the interesting thing with these images is that there's a thin line between worshipping God for these things and these things becoming images that we worship. Now, in my ancestry, it was common to worship images. They worshipped the tree, the river, they worshipped the, the, the sun, the moon and the stars. But then we say to ourselves, we have become a bit more sophisticated. Nobody's bowing down, certainly not. Well, I mean, there might be, but it's not common in the Western world to have somebody bowing down to a stone in their house or an image or an animal. But guess what? If we don't put what we call our love for nature in the context of God, we can cross the boundary and end up worshipping nature by our actions and in our hearts. Of course, there's a whole movement to preserve the earth and we must preserve the earth. We have responsibility. God gave it to us. But our discharge of that responsibility must be in the context of God so that the objective is not the earth, the objective is the worship of God in discharging that responsibility. The psalmist says this, 
It says in Psalms 19 verses 1 to 4, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. What is the psalmist encouraging us to do? That God must be central to the discharge of our duty to preserve the earth. We are preserving the earth as the earth worships and glorifies God. To take God out of that will eventually lead to us worshipping the very things that we say we want to preserve. So number one, the image of nature. We must be careful not to cross that line and end up worshipping the, these very things that God expects us to see them sending a message to him, to us about him and really see our worship in him. The second thing, our worship in them, pardon me. The second thing is self. And this really is what undergirds the whole New Age philosophy. That whole concept of you are a God. Your, your, you, your, your image is that of a God. So really you don't need Jehovah because you are a God. We are all gods. Isn't it the same sly thing that the enemy tried to do with Eve? Genesis the third chapter and the fifth verse. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God knowing both good and evil. Yes, he was saying to her, come on, God is a killjoy. He doesn't want you to be like him. That's why he has set these boundaries. Just step across the boundary and you will be a God. You will be like God. And we must be careful not to be caught in that lie of, by that lie of Satan. That we don't allow our intellects intellect to be used as a tool by Satan. To convince us that we require some independence from God. We don't need to be dependent on him. We ourselves are gods. We must be careful not to worship the image of ourselves. Number three, sex or the, or the sexual images. Now, literally the world is awash with sex, awash with images of sex. And at the back end of this drive, of course, is Satan trying to get the world to worship sexual images. When you, when you watch pornography, it really is a form of worship. Don't kid yourself. It is worship. You might not see the deity, but believe me, the spirits behind that pornography are receiving the worship. It's a worship of the images that are being shown to you and vicariously the spirits that are behind. When we step outside the boundaries that God has laid, for an expression of sexual impulses that he wired into us, it, it, it inevitably will lead to the worship of the images outside those boundaries. And the Bible is very clear as to the boundaries. Sex is ordained for husband and wife 
within the confines, and I know I'm repeating myself, of a marriage because husband and wife means they must be married. Anything outside those confines, husband and wife, within the confines of a marriage, no matter the expression, is not sanctioned by God. We have stepped outside the boundaries and there are usually consequences for that. We end up worshipping images, sexual images of all kinds, maybe of the person we're involved in or other things that we get involved in. It is God. You know, the world wants to throw away these boundaries. Well, we just can't do that, you know, because God has put those boundaries in place, enshrined them in his word. And we have to be careful not to step outside those boundaries. Everything is selling us sex. Of course, we have to try to resist it by the word of God. We have to resist the adverts, resist the, the videos, resist the music videos. That are, Everything is selling us sex. But we have to try to make sure that we resist it and stay within what God has given us in much the same way that the encouragement to Adam and Eve would have been, you can eat of every fruit in the garden, but this one, leave this one alone. And how many know that? I'm thinking to myself, I can eat everything, but this one is okay. I don't have to eat this one. But the enemy is always saying, the one that God says you can't, why doesn't he want you to do that? He's a killjoy. But as you study the Bible, you realize that he's not a killjoy. He's just trying to prevent us from doing things that will harm us. Number four, food. The images of food. And you know, I have to constantly warn myself about this because I like food. I like cooking. I like eating out. You know, I just kind of get, I just enjoy it. It's good therapy for me. And this is the thing with thin lines. You have to be careful so that what you like does not end up being what you love and does not move to what you're obsessed with. It's a, it's a flow. It always happens if you're not careful, if you're not watching yourself. You know, the, the, there was a Greek philosopher, Epicurus, he was called. I think that's where the word Epicurean is taken from. And he had disciples, Epicurus, people who followed him. And his whole philosophy was one where life was devoted to the sensual enjoyment, especially of food and drink. How many know it has become a God then? And does the Bible not warn us about that? Philippians 3 verse 19, the Bible talks about those whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. We've got to be careful so that food is not, the image of food does not end up being worshipped by us. And one of the ways we do that is to live a fasted life. So we constantly are denying ourselves of this food so that we maintain the balance so that it doesn't become a God and we worship the images. I mean, have you noticed how when you start fasting, that's when you start seeing images of food? That, 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 that's the God of, 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 that is behind it calling you to worship it. Number five, our bodies. You know what the enemy, what the enemy puts in our minds? You can look like gods and goddesses. Why don't you do what it takes to look like gods and goddesses? And yes, we have a responsibility to look after our bodies, but it's a thin line. We have to be careful that we don't cross over that thin line from being responsible for our bodies, exercising to the point where we start to worship our bodies. And you just got to be careful and watch a few things. If you're constantly looking at other people's bodies and constantly desiring that your body is like them, 
and you know you're constantly taking pictures of your body and really sitting down and worshiping your body worshiping how the if you're a lady how the curves are coming out you know worshiping if you're a guy how you're getting the, the ribbed in the right place then you've got to be careful that you haven't crossed over and we see the results of the worship of bodies we see how people harm themselves as they try to do all kinds of jobs, boob jobs, bottom jobs, you know, tops here, nips here, you know, people are no longer satisfied with the body that God has given them and satisfied with what comes to them in their body from eating right, exercising, sleeping well, but they want to somehow invade what God has done. And, and that's why that industry is blossoming all over the place. Well, be careful that your body, your desire to be like an, a Greek god or a Greek goddess does not lead you into folly where you are worshipping your bodies. Be very careful because it's a thin line. Number six, the images of God we create in our minds. Now, this is very interesting. This happens a lot in church. You see, we, we read about the God of the Bible and we conclude this is too difficult. It's impossible. Who can live like this? We forget that the whole foundation of grace is that you are not supposed to try yourself. You're supposed to rest enough in God to allow him by grace through his spirit to live that kind of life. So when we can't live that kind of life, guess what we do? We create another God that sanctions a lot of what we do. I hear it all the time. Ah, uh, that, that's not, uh, why won't God agree to that? I mean, it's not bad. We, we, we reduce God's standards to manageable standards. And because the God of the Bible can't accept those standards, we now create a whole new God in our mind, a whole new image of God. And it is okay by God. I mean, I've heard some of the most ridiculous things that people attribute to God. It's okay. The, the, the young man is telling the girl who he wants to sleep with, ah, but God cannot be so hard. You know, the, you know the one I hear all the time? How can God want you to marry somebody when you haven't tested, you know, you haven't tested, tried? That is that not foolishness? That you should, we are going to get married. Let's try just to make sure we are compatible in all ways, including sexually. That is such foolishness. It is reducing God to what our intellects can, can, can understand. And God is not grasped by our intellects. God is grasped by our spirits as we submit to his spirit. That's why the mind cannot grasp God. That's why you will have philosophers and, 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 and so-called intelligent people argue against God because it doesn't make sense. Of course it doesn't make sense. What kind of king gets victory by dying at a cross? It doesn't make sense. The king gets victory by rousing his soldiers and his army to take over. But this king gets victory by humbling himself to die the death of a criminal and a sinner on the cross. And God's ways are not our ways. Doesn't the Bible say that? His thoughts are not our thoughts. We can't grasp him in, our, in the mental realm. We must grasp him in the spirit realm by our spirit. So let's be careful that we don't end up worshipping a God that is the creation of our minds 
just so that he can sanction our lifestyles that doesn't add up or don't add up to the lifestyle that the Bible expects us to live. Rather, let's trust in God, go to God, depend on the Spirit of God to help elevate us to the level that naturally we are unable to reach ourselves. Number seven, celebrities. Now, aren't you amazed as to how we worship celebrities? Nollywood, Bollywood, Hollywood. You'd be amazed as to how people know the top 11 celebrities, the, te the top 10 celebrities, the, 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 the celebrities who have this or who have that. People know the houses of the celebrities, but people have never read about the mansion that's prepared for them in heaven in the book of Revelations. You'd be amazed as to how many Christians have never read the book of Revelations and yet professing to be Christians. The Bible is whole. It's not bits and pieces. You know, you'll be amazed as to how many Christians cannot name five disciples. But then they can name the 11 players who play for Liverpool. And then go ahead to name the, the not just the 11, the entire 23 or 24-man squad. But they have no idea about five disciples. You'll be amazed as to how we know so much about celebrities. We know their cars. We know their dates of birth. We know their girlfriends. We know their wives. We know the names of their children. But do we know Jesus? Do we know Jesus in the same way? Have we spent time studying Jesus? Have we spent time with Jesus? Are we challenged to know more and more of Jesus? To, have, to grow progressively and intimately acquainted with his person? But we end up worshipping the celebrities. The program's ratings tell you that. All the celebrity programs, the ratings for, for, for the programs where we have the celebrities, they tell you that whole families have made themselves and their fortune by creating themselves into idols that people worship. That's the whole basis behind the Kardashians. It's just worship of people and worship of a family. I have nothing against them, but they've constituted themselves into images so that people worship them. And some Christians are dragged along in this worship as we just bow at the altar of the Kardashians or, or, or whichever one, there's a, there's a young one, the royal family or something like that. So a whole young generation of these people, we just bow before them, worshiping them. And it's just the worship of celebrities. So God does not want that for us, that we are worshiping. We can enjoy these things without loving them and then moving on to being obsessive about them. And lastly, ministers of God, where we create images into ministers of God. I don't want to cause controversy because I could name a few. I'm looking at this thing and thinking, this is the worship of a God. You've created yourself into a deity. And believe me, God is a jealous God. And what God does to those who've created themselves into deities, if there isn't a repentance, God is going to do the same. That's why I struggle to, so that people don't make me a deity. I'm just a regular guy who was called into an office to serve as a pastor, a shepherd, but I have regular issues. I'm constantly dealing with them. I'm as regular as you are. I'm just trying my best. And I say to people, come alongside. Let's try together. And thankfully, the Spirit of God can help us overcome. If you look around the world, it's the worship of deities, of images of men of God. So people know more what, their man of, what, what the man of God or woman of God that they follow says than, more, than what Jesus said. People are conversant with their language, but not conversant with Jesus' language. 
And when you create these images, they grieve the heart of God. So God says, you shall not have any image. You shall not create any image. Make for yourself any carved image, any likeness. So we might not be carving the images, but can we check our hearts to make sure that we are not inadvertently worshipping one of these images? The whole essence of this journey is to help correct certain things. So let's pause and check our hearts. Let's check to make sure that we haven't inadvertently started to worship nature. We haven't created ourselves into God. And that always leads to arrogance and to pride. That we're not worshipping the sexual images in one way or another. That we haven't decided to worship food and it has become the God of our bellies. Our bellies have become our gods. That we're not so, trying so hard to be like gods and goddesses of, of Greek gods and Greek goddesses that we're worshipping our bodies. That we haven't reduced God to an image that we can manage in our minds. That we, we don't end up in this celebrity worship that the world is awash with. And please let's make sure that we don't worship those that God has given to serve us uh, as pastors or, or, or teachers, evangelists, apostles or prophets. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you and we bless you. We glorify your name. Sweet Holy Spirit, thank you for turning back our attention to God. The ex Express image of God in his son Jesus Christ and if there's anyone who hasn't embraced this express image he's not sitting on the throne of your heart well I would like to ask if you would like to invite him into your heart he makes a very very poignant statement he says he will knock on the door of your heart if you open the door he will come in and fellowship with you there is a knocking that's going on on the doors of hearts now. Will you open your heart? Will you open your heart? And if you're saying yes, you will open your heart, why not say this prayer with me? Father, I open my heart today to your son Jesus. May he be the only image I worship. I receive him as my Lord and Savior. And by that, I declare that I am now a child of yours. I ask that you will give me the grace by your spirit as I'm determined to turn away from all sins, from the worship of any other images as I embrace the image of your son, Jesus Christ. By this prayer, I know in my heart now that I am a child of yours and you are my father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.